presence of God this morning. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us into the presence of God. How many of you feel God's presence in this place? No hype, no joke, no church routine. You feel God in this place legitimately. I feel the presence of God in this place. And we've been praying a lot and been soaking up. Let's pray one more time as the band leaves the stage this morning and we get into the word. I want to share something with you before we get to what I believe is going to be another powerful moment in the service today. Father, speak to us by your word. Lord, let us receive everything that you have for us today, Father. God, I pray that you shake us and wake us up so that we do not fall into the trap of a routine called church. But Lord, that you open our eyes today and open our hearts today to catch a glimpse of who you've called us to be in everything you've paid the price for us to operate in this morning, Father. And I pray, Lord, as a pastor... Father, that you start with me, my heart, my focus, my mission that you've called me to, Lord. Father, I want everything that you have for me today. Lord, I pray that I not just bring this word that you put on my heart this morning. Father, I pray that my life preaches this message with every breath that I breathe. And I pray, Lord, that today that it becomes our heart's desire as a church to be that same way. Lord, we give you glory and we give you praise for everything that you've done in this place, for your presence that's here. Father, give me what to say and how to say it, Lord, to bring the truth of your word to your people, not just for another message, Lord, but I pray that this resonates into the very fiber of who we are, Lord. Because you called us to be more. You called us to be more. And you've given us the way to do it. Through the gift of your Holy Spirit. And we give you praise, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen and amen. Man, I feel God in this place, church. I think, um, I don't know if, if you guys are like me, but sometimes I'm really good at complicating my life. You know what I mean? I'm really good at, at throwing extras in there that, that don't belong in there. And I'm, I'm really good at um, stacking my schedule with things that maybe don't need to be in there so that I become pressurized. And, and um, man, if, if we're not careful, sometimes we can complicate this thing called a relationship with God. And we lose the heart of what this is all about. We complicate it with um, ministry schedules. We complicate it with um, things that we add into our personal schedules that take away from the focus of what God has called us to. And we, we complicate it with um, layered teachings where we get so deep that we drown in the Word of God and we lose the power, the practicality, and the simplicity of Scripture in our lives. And I don't want that to happen with me, and I don't want that to happen to you. God wants us to keep things simple, I think. The way that he set up this thing called Christianity is simple. And 
We've been really good at complicating it. Just with the Ten Commandments and the, uh, the laws that were given in the book of Leviticus, we got a hold of those jokers, and we made that as complicated as we possibly could. We turned just a few laws into thousands of rules and regulations and definitions. And like, if you just take the, the one commandment, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. God just wanted us to take a day off to rest and to reflect on him and his goodness, you know. And uh, the Pharisees got a hold of that, and they turned that one, that one commandment into over 600 laws and definitions. Well, what is work? If you're going to rest, you can't work. So what is work? How much weight can you lift before that becomes work? How many steps can you take before that becomes work? We're really good at complicating this stuff. And when Jesus came, he simplified the whole thing. And he said, listen, guys, forget everything that you've learned. Forget everything that you're trying to do. Let's just boil it down to two little things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Blew everyone's minds because they were trying to keep thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of steps and requirements and all this stuff. And he said, no, 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 we're going to boil it down to two things. Simple. Because you guys have made it too complicated. Sometimes we make this stuff too complicated. You know, when you think about it, what God's called us to do with our lives, man, love Jesus, have a relationship with him. Tell other people about him. And then help them grow in their walk with God. I mean, when you boil it down, when you get right down to it, right there. Love Jesus, have a relationship with him. Tell other people about what he's done in your life. And then help them grow in their walk with God. Salvation, relationship, evangelism, and discipleship. It's all right there. That's what we're called to do, right? That's it. But it's so easy to lose focus on that and so easy sometimes to get in the routine of what we see as modern Christianity. We forget that this whole thing was about us telling this lost world about Jesus and helping them grow along the way. Simple. When you get to the topic of the Holy Spirit, which is what we're going to talk about today, um, man, it's... In church world, we've made this subject incredibly complicated. And there's a lot of division depending on the denomination you may or may not have grown up in and what you've been taught or haven't been taught, you know. Um, I learned a long time ago that I am much less interested in what someone has to say, but I am very interested in what the Bible has to say about any given topic, you know. And, and I would encourage you, not just in, in, in this message, but any message that I preach or anyone preaches here, any, any pastor that you sit under, listen, don't just take them at face value. Check stuff out. Read the Word of God for yourself. Make sure you know the Word of God for yourself. Um, what I want to do today is just give us a simple look at this person called the Holy Spirit. Why is it important? Because he is the key. He is the key to us operating in everything that Jesus died for us to have the opportunity to operate in. The Holy Spirit is the key. He is the power source. He is the one that makes it all happen. But I find, especially in conversation, you know, I mean, how many of y'all have, have ever asked yourself this question? Okay, 
if, if we're supposed to operate in power, if we're supposed to be able to pray for the sick and see them healed, if we're supposed to pray for people with broken bones and see that stuff healed, if we're supposed to operate in, in power and authority like we read about in the book of Acts, where is that power and authority now in the church today? You ever asked yourself that? I've asked myself that question a lot because I believe the word of God is true. And if the word of God is true and I don't see a church operating in the power that the Bible says that we can operate in, I start asking questions. Okay, does that mean that the Bible is a lie and it's just a good story? Or is there something wrong with the church? And I believe that the reason why we don't see the power, we don't see the authority. We don't see the miracles and the signs and wonders. We don't see all of that. And listen, all of that is icing on the cake to the main purpose of the Holy Spirit, which is to equip us with all of that stuff so that we can be witnesses for Jesus. That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So I had to ask myself, which comes first, the chicken or the egg in this scenario? Does the Holy Spirit equip us so that we can go out in power to be witnesses? Or is it as we go out to be witnesses, the Holy Spirit equips us with power? And I think the answer is both. And I think when it's all said and done, listen, that preaching like what I'm about to say clears out of church. Clears out of church because it makes people uncomfortable because church people, and I'll say church people to draw a line, all right? We're followers of Christ, all right? We're disciples of Christ. Church people, different. Church people are in the routine of coming to church, having a little sermon, a little worship, and then they leave and they do their own thing. A follower of Christ is completely different. Completely different. I think that the reason why we don't see the level of power in the church today that we could be seeing that Jesus paid the price for us to have, that the Holy Spirit makes available to each and every one of us is because we, as a church Church people, church people, do not, do not live the lifestyle of a witness. We do not make letting other people know about Jesus a priority in our lives. And because we negate the main purpose of the Holy Spirit, there is no work that we're doing for the Holy Spirit to show himself powerful in. Does that make sense? Now stop just for a second because we're going to be honest and true. Man, this is a question I've been asking myself for weeks now, personally, for weeks now in praying and preparing for this message. If someone were to look at my life or someone were to look at your life, could they really say that the main focus of your life is to let other people know about Jesus Christ? Could they say that? And the only way they could say that is looking at the evidence of your life. How much we talk about Jesus and how many people we've led to the Lord in our lives personally. Now, the truth is, for the average Christian, when you talk to them, and, and most pastors work themselves to death trying to get the people in their church to invite people to church so that Jesus can rock their world. That's the big secret. We don't care about having a full house. That's awesome. We want to see lost people come into the church so that they can find Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so pastors, they, they, they work themselves silly trying to motivate 
the church to bring people in. When you get right down to it, most people that call themselves Christians never talk about Jesus to anyone else. Most people that call themselves Christians are wrapped up in the cares and the issues of this world. Most people that call themselves Christians are busy earning a check, and they have forgotten about the whole mission of the gospel. We become consumers of the church and not being the church. Big difference. Big difference. Less than 2%. In a poll that was done uh, a while back, and I think recently it was shown, it was like um, 1.4, 1.5, whatever percent of Christians when they were just nailed down and asked to be honest. Less than 2%, just barely over 1%, actually said that they share their faith consistently with other people. Ask yourself a question, real. These are questions that I'm asking myself, too. All right, how many people do you have in your life right now that you're actively trying to reach for Jesus? How many people do you have in your life right now that you're trying to invite to church? How many people, this is the big one, all right? Now, I'm not trying to heap guilt. I'm just sharing my heart. This is, (laughs) the church needs this message. How many people have you personally led to Jesus? Let's just say the last six months. The last year. Here's a question that shocks me when I talk to church people. How many people do you have in your life that are actually non-Christian people? That you're trying to build a relationship with? Most Christians have bubbled themselves in to church world. And they're pretty little lives. And we've forgotten about the mission of the church. And if you're here today and you can't throw a number behind these questions. And you can't say this person, that person, this person, that. I would challenge you to take an honest look at what you call your faith. And give it a review. Okay? Because the purpose of the Holy Spirit's operation in our lives is to equip us to be witnesses for Jesus. And if we find ourselves in a season or in a long stretch of multiple years of our lives where we are not seeing that power manifested in our lives, circle that. Circle that. This is something the Lord's been hitting me on for weeks now. Josh, how many how many people are you inviting? How many people are you praying for? How many and and as a pastor it's easy for me to get busy doing the legitimate responsibilities in the church because the pastor's job is just never done in a church. Um, Those things. And you find yourself where in ministering to the body and preaching the word and the preparation that's necessary and the time necessary for all of that, you find that there's very little time left over to devote to what the Bible calls the main thing if you're not careful. And God's been hammering me as a pastor for this for, for a while now. And I've been making changes and adjustments in my schedule so that one, my main priority is not just to get up here and preach. My main priority is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And then I come up here and I preach and lead the church as a pastor. Because that's who he's called me to be. And that should be our focus as believers. Amen? Simple. Simple. See, these are questions that don't get asked much in churches because it exposes things. 
Okay, it takes it takes the pretty little bandage off of the sores that are that are in a lot of people's lives and, and in churches and exposes them. And a lot of pastors don't do this because they know that the likelihood of you showing back up after you get confronted with something like that is little. Because people today like to go where the preaching is comfortable. And people today like to go where the preaching is soft. And people to, but but I gotta believe that you guys have got to be more mature than that. Amen? I got to believe that you got to be more mature than that. That you've got to look back and think of everything that Jesus has brought you out of and what he saved you from and what he's done in your life and know that it's just not enough to camp out on that and not let the rest of this world burn and go to hell around us while we bubble in and thank God for everything that he can do for us while we consume everything for us like we're the only person in the universe that's ever needed Jesus. We can't let the world burn around us while we have the answer that they need. And the Holy Spirit's operation in our life is key to that. In Scripture, there are three distinct earmarks shown that should take place in the life of every believer. And I'm going to do a little bit of teaching now. Man, guys, I feel the presence of God in this place. I'm going to do a little bit of teaching just to show you the pattern in the New Testament. Not that you need it, but there might be some people here today that might have questions. And maybe you're a guest here today and everything that I've just said to you is just a foreign language. Well, I want to break this down so that everyone in here can, can benefit from the word. So... If you're a believer, I'm going to show you a cool way to explain the need of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you're not versed in this, I want to walk you through why the Holy Spirit is needed in our lives. Three distinct earmarks shown in Scripture that should take place in the life of the believer. And they're pretty simple because the gospel is simple. It's one, two, three. Salvation, water baptism, and baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, these are very distinct and different earmarks that we hit in our Christian walk. And I'll show you how it's played out in the New Testament. But I want to walk you through something to help make it real clear. Salvation. It is the Holy Spirit that draws us and convicts us of sin in our lives and draws us into Jesus. Okay? The Holy Spirit is the active agent of the Godhead involved in salvation. Now, he doesn't pay for our salvation. Jesus paid for our salvation. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus paid the price to set us free. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, that draws us in for salvation. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this. It says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We know from other scriptures, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin. It's the Holy Spirit that exposes our need for a Savior. It's the Holy Spirit that works in a service like this. Well, I'm preaching the word and bringing forth truth. The Holy Spirit is speaking right now to everybody in this room, specifically to you and what's going on in your life. Now, I'm preaching the truth of the word of God, but he's talking to you and convicting you personally on stuff in your life, okay? This is why as a pastor, I don't have to guilt you into doing anything. It's not my job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sin and to bring about the change, okay? It's my job to preach the truth of the word of God. God's pretty good at doing what God does. I don't have to do his job for him. Um, so, 
Pay attention, though, to the subject of this sentence. Now, you grammar people are going to love me for the next couple of minutes. The subject of this verse right here is what? The Spirit, yeah. It just happens to be highlighted. For by one Spirit, the Spirit baptizes us into the body, draws us into the body. The Spirit's work at salvation. He's the subject. He's the one that does the work. Now, the second earmark after you're saved should be water baptism. Okay? Now, water baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. But it's important because it's an outward expression of what God has already done in your heart. It's like going public with everything that Jesus has done in your life. And it should be done. Jesus was even baptized. So if Jesus sets the example of being baptized, I want to follow the example of Jesus. The first one, salvation, is an inward work. Baptism is an outward show of the inward work that's already happened. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see this pattern all through the New Testament. People get saved. They get baptized shortly thereafter. Now, who is supposed to go? Us. Us. Ewans and Mesons. All right? Usins and Mesons. We're supposed to go. All right? Now, stay with me because I'm laying the groundwork for something that you need to know. We are the understood subject in this, right? We are to go and make disciples. We are to baptize them. The Holy Spirit draws people for salvation, but it's the disciple that baptizes in water, okay? That's why when you got baptized, Jesus didn't come down and do it himself or angels or the Holy Spirit. You got dunked by somebody you knew, probably. Um, just a disciple, by the way. Not just pastors, but you as a believer in Christ. You can baptize people too. We have uh, parents of, of children baptize their kids all the time in the church. And I think that's real important for parents to be there for that earmark in their kids' lives. So the Holy Spirit draws people in or baptizes into the body. The disciple baptizes people in water. Matthew 3.11, baptism in the Holy Spirit this is John the Baptist speaking, and he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, who is John speaking of here? Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. So, the he in this sentence, he is Jesus. He is the subject, right? You grammar people are like, yes, I'm right there with you. Everybody that stunk at grammar right now is going, what? Huh? I hate diagramming sentences. What are you talking about? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Okay? These are distinct acts done by distinct and different people and persons of the Godhead. It, it, the, the Holy Spirit draws us in, but Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. It would be like me saying, Russell cuts the wood, but Pastor Jeremy stacks the wood. Now, who cuts the wood? Russell. Who stacks the wood? Pastor Jeremy. 
there's no discrepancy in who does what. Okay? Now listen to me. Grammatically, these are two separate acts by two separate people. Theologically, these are two very distinct acts that happen by two very distinct persons in the Godhead. The Holy Spirit draws, but then the Holy then Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. They can't be the same thing. Very different. Why do you say that? Because there's a lot of teaching out there that says that when you are saved, you are filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation. At salvation. And there's nothing else that you need to have happen in your life. Popular teaching quite often stands in contradiction to the Word of God. You understand me? So I would encourage you this morning not to lean on what mama might have said or grandpa might have said or what pastor so-and-so may have said. But we're going to go through the word of God and look at what the Bible says and look at the pattern. Why? Because we all need in our lives to be operating in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we can't be who God wants us to be without him. He's key to it. Okay, this is where we're going today. So... One of the things that's really cool about the Gospels is that you've got four accounts of the Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written by four different people, four different perspectives, and you see their personalities at work and their mindsets at work. Some of them are very detailed. Some of them are just very straightforward and blunt. Here's what you need to know. Some of them give us great historical um, earmarks and mile marks to look at so that we can go back and see what's happening during the time that Jesus is doing what he does. You know, they all fit together to form a great view of the gospel. There are only two things that are listed in all four of the gospels. Two things that are in all four of them. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the second one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the only things that you see in all four of the Gospels. Now, I want to give you some scripture for your own study. The other mentionings of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel, Mark 1, 8, Luke 3, 16, and John 1, 33. You can look those up. These are all accounts of John saying what Jesus was going to do in his ministry. I think it's cool, too, that you see a little bit of foreshadowing, too, in the New Testament. Because Jesus' public ministry hadn't even started yet. Okay, And John's talking about what he's going to do to equip us after the fact. This is how cool God is. See, foreshadowing all through Scripture and all through the Gospel. So before Jesus' ministry ever began, John's talking about how we're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to show you some stuff so you can see this pattern in, uh, in the New Testament. Why? Because, listen, if the New Testament church operated a certain way, don't you think it's important for you and me to operate in that same way? Yeah? If we want to see the same results, it would be good to have the same elements at work, right? Two and two is always four. So if we want four, we got to get two and two before we get four. So Acts 1, I want to go through this quick because I want to spend some time praying this morning. You know, I think a lot of times we get pressurized by times and clocks and stuff like that in church. Is it okay today if we just let God do what God wants to do in our lives? Is that cool? 
Is it cool if you're a little hungry? Is it cool that if some, is it okay if we might have to wait in a little bit of a line because some other church beat us to the restaurant we want to go to first? Is it okay just to wait and just let God do what he wants to do in our lives and in our church today? Is that cool? Sometimes I get hungry too as a pastor. Acts 1, starting at verse 4. This is Jesus speaking to not just the disciples, but with a larger group of believers who were there with them. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now remember that word promise, because we're going to come back to it in just a couple of minutes. He said, you have heard from me. Now look at what Jesus does here. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is a direct reference by Jesus to what John said about him before his ministry ever started. How cool is that? So he says, go and pray and wait for the promise. Now, what is the promise? I'm making you think this morning. I'm trying to teach you a little bit, okay? I'm not trying to preach you up. I'm trying to teach you some stuff this morning. The promise is the Holy Spirit. So the promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's interesting to know that Jesus is talking to a group of believers because he's already died and been raised from the dead. Okay, This is the group of people that are believing in him in salvation at that moment. So Jesus is talking about a separate act apart from salvation and being sealed with the Holy Spirit on salvation. And the Bible says that when we're saved, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And he comes in and he does that initial work in our life and he breathes that breath of life and brings us from death to life in our spirit. The Bible says that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. That initial work with the Holy Spirit is different, though, than what... Jesus is talking about here. Acts 2, 1 through 4. So this group is up there praying. And it's interesting to note that there's about 120 people, give or take, in this room at this time. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly the sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. That had to be trippy right there. Can you imagine being there and seeing that happen? I'd be like, who snuck the acid and my food before I came in? Here's what I'd be thinking, you know. It, it had to look like, a, like you're just tripping on something. Tongues of fire, the rest separated, came to rest on, on them. All of them, the Bible says, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And look what happens. Began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them now that's that's big right there how many people were baptized in the holy spirit in that upper room experience all of them every one of them without exception okay every one of them and they began to speak in other tongues people get freaked out over this whole speaking in tongues things okay forget about speaking in tongues it's a heavenly language okay It's a prayer language. You're speaking in a heavenly prayer language that we can't understand necessarily on earth with our natural ears. Now, if you got the gift of interpretation that we're going to read about in a little bit, then there are times in a corporate setting or in prayer time where God will give you the interpretation for what's spoken in a tongue. Okay? 
But that's a heavenly language. People wig out over that because you don't understand it. You know why? Because it's a heavenly language. If you went to Zimbabwe, you're going to hear a different language than you're used to hearing here in America. Right? Same things. Different language for a different place. Okay? But it's important to note, too, that they spoke as the Spirit enabled them. Okay? This is not a work of the flesh that you see in a lot of churches today because they try to hype up and super emotionalize something so they can feel like something powerful has happened in a church. The manifested gifts of the Spirit, listen to me now, the manifested gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and all that stuff, listen, they do not exist to add an element of mystery to a service or an element of hype to a service. They exist to equip us to lead people to Jesus, to edify the body, to point to Jesus every time, okay? Not this strange fire stuff that you see in a lot of circles. So, they've all been filled with the Spirit. Acts 2, 38 and 39. This is after they've been filled with the Spirit. Peter looks out a window and he preaches to this great big crowd of people that are there that have been gathered from, listen, multiple nations. So you've got people from multiple nations, the Bible says, multiple cultures, multiple religious backgrounds. And listen to what Peter says to them. All right, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. All right, stop right there. He told them to do what? To repent and what? Be baptized. Okay, get saved. Get baptized. He's talking about salvation and water baptism. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. And then look what he lists as a separate act. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you see salvation, water baptism, and baptism in the Holy Spirit listed. This is just a common occurrence, and this is what was expected in the life of a believer at the time. The promise, there it is again. What's the promise? Holy Spirit, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, there's a popular teaching out there that says that, um, that the Holy Spirit's outpouring was specific to just the disciples or the apostles in the early church to help get the church going. So the Holy Spirit's dispensation is what they'll say during that time was just for them. And when they all died out, that the manifested gifts and the power and all that stuff you read about in the book of Acts died out with them, okay? What I just read to you cannot be true if that happened, all right? Peter says the promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and look who else, your children. Anytime in Scripture you see something passed to the next generation in that culture, it was just understood that it was a continual process from generation to generation to generation. He might as well have been saying, this is something not just for you, but for your children, your grandchildren, your children's 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 children, like an ongoing statement. It is for multiple generations to come. And not just for you guys, but for all who are far off, okay, that's everybody for all whom the Lord our God will call. Just in case there was any element of doubt on what he was talking about. It's for everybody. Everybody say everybody. Holy Spirit is for everyone. Everyone. Acts 8, 14 through 17. I want to show you just some examples 
of just the progression in the life of a normal believer in the New Testament. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the, the who? The new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had just simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So you've got believers there who had been baptized, but they had not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Three distinct acts listed in the New Testament. Are you guys still with me? All right. Acts 19. I'm going to show you a couple of more things. Acts 19, looking at verses 1 through 7. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. Now I want to stop here for a second. This is Paul, right? Okay, Paul had the equivalent of a PhD in his time. All right? This is Paul who knew the law. He was a Pharisee. He even called himself a Pharisee of Pharisee and said that as, with regard to um, the legalistic law, he was faultless because he kept it like nigh perfectly. He followed the law. He knew the law. This is Paul who wrote about a third of the New Testament. Okay? which I don't know how you're doing on it, but it's about a third more than I've written personally. Yeah. So this is Paul that wrote about a third of the New Testament. This is Paul who was called up into the third heaven. This is Paul who said, I have seen so many revelations. I can't even begin to tell you them all because you, there's just no way you'll be able to understand them. You've got to be able to see it like I saw it. This is Paul who understood theology. This is Paul who understood the word of God. Here's my question. If Paul was that sharp and Paul knew the Bible or the old, he knew the law like he knew it and Paul understood the work of the spirit like he did, why would he ask this question? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Why would he reference it as though it was a second definite act in the life of a believer? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? You know why? Because the pattern was salvation, water baptism, and then baptism in the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. They answered, no, we hadn't even heard there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, what baptism did you believe? So Paul's interested in their theology now, John's baptism. So Paul sets them straight. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told uh, people about the one coming after him, that's Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Now you've got believers who have been baptized. And then look what happens. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So now you've got another group of 12 people outside that original group in the upper room that have been filled with the Holy Spirit spoken in tongues, and operating in the gifts of the Spirit in prophecy, just like that. It was the pattern in the New Testament church. And not just in the New Testament. You remember when I tell you God's really into foreshadowing? 
And God's really into placing imagery and types to paint pictures through the Old Testament of what Jesus was going to do in the New Testament. Um, this is something that's really beautiful to me. I want to show you some pictures of how the old temple was laid out. I'm going to show it to you one step at a time, then I'm going to talk you through it. So you would come through the entrance, which was a small entrance into the temple courtyard, one entrance, only one way in, because Jesus is the only one way, truth, and the life. So you walk in, and the first thing you would come to would be an altar. The second thing you would come to would be a laver. And the third thing that you would come to in the temple would be a flask. Then beyond that, you would have where the most holy place would be, and then the, most, you know, the holy place and the most holy place. As you walk in, look at how this is laid out, guys. Amazing to me. Nope, go back. You walk through the entrance, and you go to the altar where a sacrifice is made for the covering of sins. Salvation. When that was complete, you would go to the laver, which was a pedestal with a large bowl on top of it filled with water so that you could wash yourself to purify and cleanse yourself. Water baptism. Then you would go to the next step, which would be a priest in the temple who would be there with a flask full of oil where you would be anointed. What's the oil symbolic of in Scripture? The Holy Spirit. All three steps, all three distinct acts of the New Testament church laid out in the Old Testament temple to be an example before we got there. How cool is God? Repentance of sin and salvation, water baptism, and then the anointing of the Holy Spirit and His operation in our lives before we move into the holy place of the temple. Now, what we want to do in the modern church is this right here. Go to the next slide now. We want to do this. A lot of churches don't teach on the Holy Spirit. A lot of modern churches, they'll say they believe in the Holy Spirit, but they don't publicly teach the Holy Spirit, and they definitely won't publicly pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit in a corporate setting like this, like we're fixing to do. You know why? Because it makes people uncomfortable because they don't understand it. So by their lack of teaching, they're creating a uh, misunderstanding and fear through ignorance that they could be teaching, uh, fixing from the pulpit if they would just teach the truth of the Word of God. We want to skip. A lot of people get saved. They get baptized. But we skip that last part, and here's why. It's what we talked about at the beginning of the service. Because in order for us to operate in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, our lives have to be fully submitted to God. We don't see the Spirit's power and operation in our lives because we don't make the mission our focus. Another reason is because our minds are so corrupted by this world, we're not sensitive to the things of the Spirit. Okay, I'm teaching you guys now. I want this to get in your spirit. I want this to get in your spirit, and I want it to bring about the change that God wants. We cannot operate as the New Testament church. We cannot operate as New Testament believers in the fullness of the power that God wants us to operate in 
if we skip that step. Just can't do it. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit and submitted to the Holy Spirit. And that's when the cool stuff starts to happen in our lives, you know? Man, a lot of people think, and this is preached a lot at churches, man, Jesus will save you, he will set you free, and he does. He sets you free from sin, he sets you free from bondage. You step out of that, you cross over from death to life spiritually, you're forgiven positionally, you become a child of God, covered in the blood of Jesus, and then you get baptized and you go public and you let everybody know about what God's done in your life. But the Holy Spirit is something that, goes further and equips us now to take it beyond ourselves to the world outside. Three-step process. Three-step process. We skip that because it makes us uncomfortable. We skip that because we don't understand it. We skip it and we miss out on what's really the beginning of our experience with God. Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's when the fun stuff really begins to happen in your life. I want to give you four things that the Holy Spirit does, and we're about to pray. Is that cool? Y'all ready? For, y'all ready to pray? Y'all ready for the Spirit of God to pour into your lives this morning? All right. Four things that the Holy Spirit does. Listen, everything that God does has a purpose. The Holy Spirit exists to be a counselor and a teacher in our lives. John 14 tells us that when the Holy Spirit is in our lives, we begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A lot of us are wigging out over stuff in our lives that if we would just submit it and put it in the Spirit, we'd operate at a greater level of peace in our lives instead of trying to carry it all ourselves. The gifts of the Spirit come with the Holy Spirit. Now listen, the Holy Spirit is like this huge box of awesomeness that God gives us. I'm just telling you, I could talk all day on this. So we, he, now, now if you're struggling to understand the word of God like I used to early on, now he comes alongside you and he's a teacher and he's a counselor and he can walk you through problems and issues in your life. You know, he can illuminate the word of God and suddenly the word of God explodes in a deeper level of revelation and personal application in your life. It's what the Holy Spirit does. You just can't get that by reading the word of God on your own. He comes alongside you to make that happen. And a lot of the stuff that we're struggling with trying to fix in our lives, that he bursts through us by manifesting his fruit through our lives. He works on the inside of us to manifest the stuff on the outside of us, inside out. And then he equips us with all the gifts that come with him, the healing, the prophecy, the miraculous signs and wonders, the, 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 the gifts of tongues in a corporate setting like we see t- sometimes here and, and the interpretation of that a gift of wisdom when we're facing situations where we don't know what to do or we don't know what ne- the next step to take. The Holy Spirit's wisdom will walk us through that. He's there to come alongside of us and help us in our walk with God. Now, if you're a believer, listen, it should be odd that you have not operated in all of the gifts of the Spirit. That's easy for you to say, Pastor Josh. Over the course of my life, since I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was in my early 20s. My life radically changed at that point. I'm just telling you. The Word of God exploded to me like it never had before. And and I saw just just radical change in my passion for God and my approach to to what God had called me to do. I submitted to the call of God all my life. And 
It was, it was like I got saved all over again. It was just awesome. But it was times 10 because it was just an ongoing thing. You know, because the Spirit's work in our life is never done. And, and, I, and I've seen over the course of my life since then, I've operated in all of those gifts of the Spirit because it's Him doing the work through you. I've seen people healed. I've seen people restored. I've looked at people and had God speak to me and give me knowledge of what was going on in their life. And there's no way I could have known it. And, and I, I've seen miraculous stuff happen. And, and, and I've, I've given messages in tongues and interpretations. And I've given words of prophecy. And I've had God lead me and give me wisdom in situations. I've seen the Spirit do all of that stuff in my life. So I've experienced Him moving in my life. And a lot of you guys have too. It's, it's amazing to watch Him move. But listen, that's not the reason. We, he doesn't come in our lives for the gifts or for the fruit or for the teaching or for the counselor or for all that stuff. He does all of that, but all of that comes into our lives through him to prepare us and equip us to go out and reach this world for Jesus. The Spirit will give us power to be witnesses in our lives. So it doesn't matter what you do in a church service if you're not letting the Spirit work through you to draw people to Jesus. It's pointless. It's pointless. Now, I got a question for you. Are you operating in the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are you just living a normal life? Are you seeing the Holy Spirit work in and through you to draw people in to Jesus? Or are things complicated and you're just going through the routine?